Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. For me, for Debbie, for a whole lot of parents of college students around the country, this weekend is Parents Weekend, an annual fall tradition right up there with Halloween and Thanksgiving when parents journey to the site of their children's four-year scholastic residence bearing firsthand witness to the unkempt conditions in which they live and buying them dinners off menus far surpassing the standards of campus dining plans. Depending on the kid and the campus, it's a weekend filled with intercollegiate sports, parent-child beers, and middle-aged parents beginning every sentence with a nostalgic refrain, back when I was in college. So, If you're wondering why I am here and not at the University of Michigan where my daughter Lucy attends, and in fact where I attended, it's because on the subject of Parents Weekend, as with many parenting matters, Debbie and I take a contrarian view. Why in the world would I choose to visit my child on Parents Weekend, a weekend where dinner reservations are scarce when the price of a second-rate campus hotel room is equivalent to that of the Maui Ritz, and when I will be undoubtedly be subjected to an onslaught of well-meaning development professionals asking me to give to an institution that I already proudly support. The Cosgroves have a different view of Parenting Weekend, and it goes something like this. On Friday, we sent our three children to Ann Arbor to visit their sister with the following instructions. Have a blast. Sleep on the floor of your sister's room. See if you can get your sister's friend's parents to take you all out to dinner. Your mother and I, we're having our parents' weekend. Alone, here, in New York, without you. Lucy, we love you and we will visit you some other time when we can get a dinner reservation. The rest of you, See a Sunday night, a Cosgrove family tradition, one that I recommend to all of you who presently or will one day have children on campus. In honor of Parents Weekend and secure in the knowledge that my four children are as removed from this morning's service as Michigan is to a national title, I want to speak to you about the subject of parenting. Now, I make no claim to be an expert on the subject. The jury is still out, and I suppose it always will be. The measure of a parent, after all, is not something judged by any single snapshot in time, but by the generations. And yet, as a father of four, two at home and two on campus, parenting is a subject about which I think about as much as anything in my life. My role, Debbie's role, our shared vision, thinking long, thinking short, in my case, the joys and challenges that come with raising multiple children wired totally differently, totally differently for that matter on any given day. 
And of course, the all-important question regarding the role a parent plays in cultivating the bond shared between siblings both now and in the future. Not all of us are parents, not all of us have siblings, but we are all children of someone. What are the desired outcomes that parents seek? What are the measures of successful parenting? It's a question shared by one and all. And it is a question that sits squarely in this morning's Torah reading. The name of our Parsha, Toldot, often translated as generations, is about the act of identity transmission from parent to child, in this case, from Isaac and Rebekah to their twin boys, Esau and Jacob. After years of infertility, Rebekah is blessed with twins along with the burden of God's prediction that the older shall serve the younger. One ruddy, one mild, the boys grew up, Esau favored by his father and Jacob by his mother. An early scene has Esau selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of lentils. Esau marries out of the tribe, a source of bitterness to both parents. On his deathbed, a blind Isaac sends Esau out to hunt in preparation for a blessing. Rebekah, overhearing the exchange, sets in motion a plan whereby Jacob, not Esau, receives a sought-after blessing. Returning from the hunt, Esau realizes he's been cheated, vows to kill his brother Jacob, who, again, with the help of his mother, now flees for his life. The tale is not a pretty one, really a case study in how not to parent, a valuable literary prism, nevertheless, by which to examine our own family dynamics. Let's begin with the obvious. This is a story that brings the question of nature versus nurture to the fore. Unlike Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, or Joseph and his brothers, by making Jacob and Esau twins, the Torah provides us with an implicit thought experiment played out daily in every household. The degree to which our children's character is inborn or a reflection of the household in which they are nurtured. The text could not be clearer. Not only do these boys emerge from the womb physically different, not only has the antenatal oracle signaled their spiritual hardwiring, but the struggle between them appears to be built in from the get-go. You may agree or you may disagree, but on this subject, the Torah is clear. There are aspects of our children's identity that are nature, not nurture, a thought as constricting as it is liberating, a thought which raises a host of next-level questions regarding how we as parents respond to our children's nature, a thought to which we shall return soon enough. Isaac and Rebecca's response we know leaves much to be desired. Isaac and Rebecca loved each other dearly. The word ahava, Hebrew for love, is used in reference to them more than any other biblical couple. Their problem was not the presence of love, but the judicious allocation of it. The text is clear. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. If you have a bit of Hebrew in you, note the pronominal suffixes throughout. Always his son or her son. The very grammar of this story speaking volumes. You know, when our kids were young, I remember them climbing onto Debbie, asking her which one was her favorite, to which Debbie would smile and wisely respond, well, whichever one of you I am with. But this warm dynamic was not the case in our Torah reading. And what the biblical narrator notes, J 
Jacob and Esau undoubtedly felt. Their DNA became their destiny, their parents overbearing, nurturing, shackling their respective natures. Each boy shoehorned into a binary that precluded their right to self-assertion, that reinforced the fault line between them, and that ruled out an appreciation of difference, of growth, and shared blessing. It's a state of affairs described by Freud as the narcissism of minor differences. The observation that it's often those individuals with whom we share the most in common, like siblings, with whom we find it hardest to get along. In my imagination, the sale of the birthright for a bowl of lentils was but one of many tit-for-tat childhood incidents, two siblings in constant competition for their parents' love, for their self-worth, and for their right to self-definition. And if I peel away at the onion a bit more, I think part of the problem with Isaac and Rebecca is that their parenting skills are somehow, to the detriment of Jacob and Esau, reflections of their own childhoods. As many have noted, the inward-looking Isaac found something compelling in his outdoorsy son Esau, no different than Rebekah may have seen in the tent-dwelling Jacob, the daughter that she never had. But it goes deeper than that. Remember, when we met Rebekah last week, as she boldly watered the camels and forcefully asserted her determination to leave her father's home. Given the household from which she came, we understand and even admire Rebecca's character better to apologize later than ask for permission first. As for Isaac, having been bound on the altar and estranged from his father, his luf mentioned existence is no surprise. A telling interlude in our Torah reading has him redigging the wells that his father Abraham had dug. Isaac is a man so involved in confronting his broken relationship with his father that he fails to tend to the unfolding drama of his own children. His blindness is not just a physical condition. It's a metaphor for his parenting, if not his entire being. And Rebecca. Well, Rebecca fails to separate the family dynamics of her household of origin from the household for which she is responsible to build, all of which we know results in a series of decisions and deceptions with tragic consequence. To put it plainly, it wasn't just that Isaac and Rebecca favored one child over the other. It is that they, to everyone's detriment, remain tethered to the models set by their respective pasts. They never created a shared vision. They never communicated with each other. No matter how much they may have loved each other, when it came to parenting, they were not on the same page, never mind showing a united front together. It's a lesson whose reverberations can be felt by all of us. We're all extensions of the homes that gave us life. And oftentimes that's a good thing. But it's a failure of both imagination and personal agency for one generation to parent the next generation under the shadow of the generation past. We're all only extended one swing at the plate. You can only blame the past generation for so long. And at some point it's incumbent upon us all to parent in a manner of our own choosing, which if you're parenting with someone else, has to be a shared vision. 
The tragic consequences of Isaac and Rebecca's parenting are rendered most vivid in the tragic denouement of our Torah reading, when Isaac, by way of Rebekah's manipulations, is duped into giving Jacob the blessing that is meant for Esau. It is, I believe, the most heartbreaking verse of the book of Genesis, if not the entire Torah. Esau enters, realizing the blessing has been given away, and in a heaving sob cries, Habracha echat hilach avi, Berachini gam ani avi. Have you but one blessing, Father? Bless me too, Father. Heartbreaking, not just because Esau has lost the blessing, but because Esau lived in a world where parental blessings were believed to be a zero-sum game, a world where blessings are finite, static, and cannot be shared. There are some commentators who believe that the failure of Isaac and Rebekah was that they ignored the different natures of their children, giving them the same education, thereby dooming them. There are others who believe the opposite, that the failure of Isaac and Rebekah was that in raising the boys so differently, according to their nature at birth, they bear responsibility for the struggle faced by each son and between them. I think it's a little of both. As the book of Proverbs teaches, Chanoch l'na'ar al-pidarko, teach a child according to their way. I think that parenting is a never-ending process of seeking to affirm the ever-evolving nature of a child's identity, all the while taking agency for your role and responsibility in shaping that identity. I have no idea why it is one child is better at math, why one child makes friends more easily, why one child gravitates to athletics, and why one takes to tradition. What I do know is that on any given day, a new aspect of my child emerges that I've never seen before. On any given day, a parental intervention may be needed to nudge them forwards towards realizing their full self-worth. On any given day, Debbie and I try our best to make sure that we are on the same page, even when, and sometimes especially when, the particular moment calls on one of us or the other to take the lead. I pray that whatever parenting overreach or underreach of which I am guilty is forgiven by way of the passage of time and by way of my children's knowledge that I am proud of them and that I love them equally, infinitely, and differently. And I want them to know that thoughtful as I may be about parenting, I make no claim to perfection. And should they become parents, it is their obligation to create a model that works for the world that they seek to create. Most of all, I hope and pray that they as siblings come to know that when it comes to blessings, there is no limit to the quantity and quality to which they can expect from their parents. My greatest wish after all is that day in the distant future when they sit down together with lives of their own and single malt scotch in their hand, taking full pride in each other's achievements and always having each other's backs, turn to me and say, he's all right, my dad. And while it may take some time, it's heartening to know that this is where our biblical story will eventually lead. That scene two weeks from now 
when, with decades having elapsed, Jacob and Esau see each other for the first time in a long time. Jacob greets his brother bearing gifts, and in response, Esau responds, Yeshli Rav, I have enough. Esau is happy with his portion, and Jacob, for his part, responds with words as beautiful as they come. Ra'iti panecha kiro pnei Elohim. To see your face is to see the face of God. Blessings abound. The children are no longer beholden to the missteps of their parents. The siblings have taken agency for their futures and their families. Now grown adults, tasked to meet the challenges that await them. As children to our parents, and as parents to our children, so too may this be our blessing. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.